I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's going on, everybody? Happy Wednesday. A lot of good things to talk about today. The Celtics had their first preseason game and a loss to the Sixers. Despite the loss, there was a lot of encouraging signs that were going on. I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Mr. Brendan Nunes, currently wiping the sleep from his eyes in suspectedly sunny Sacramento. What's going on, my guy? Yeah, suspectedly sunny. I don't know. It's a little gloomy over here. Uh, probably nothing compared to UK or Boston. Gloomy, though. Um, clearing it's up still a little raining. bit today. Hasn't stopped. That Yeah, sounds about right. No, it has stopped raining here. I think it rained a little bit again yesterday, but the rain has cleared up. It's just very overcast. It has legit not stopped raining. I'm literally (laughs) considering building an arc. Why not? There you go. Right, we'll get straight into the basketball. There's a lot to talk about, not enough time to do it. Brendan, where do you want to start? I mean, for me, one of the things, and I tweeted out about this earlier, so I want to start here personally, was... The amount of times they got Grant Williams running the dribble handoff, they ran 10 dribble handoff actions throughout the game, had Grant Williams running seven of them. Overall, they out of those 10 dribble handoffs, they scored on 40%. So they only scored four times after them, but they were getting good looks and generating, the, um, generating some good passing opportunities as well. And what I'm trying to get at here is, is Brad Stevens going to use Grant Williams in a Al Horford-esque role on the top of the perimeter to start opening up plays? I mean, I think you could try, right? And I don't think that Robert Williams is a terrible candidate for that either because, you know, as we've mentioned and a lot of people have, he's a very underrated and willing passer. There's a passing potential to him as well. Um, So I, I think that it definitely wouldn't hurt to play with both of those guys in that sort of role. Um, and yeah, Grant just being an extremely high IQ player in a little bit of a read and react system with this dribble handoff, I think is going to fare well for him, you know, and there's, there's certain lineups where he's going to struggle. I think we saw a lot of Grant, uh, at the five minutes because, and, and you know, a good amount at the four, but because there's no Thompson or Tice. Um, so I don't know exactly how much I expect that. Um, at, at later points, but as we know, Brad will definitely play with things, and I think it's something I'm, I'm glad to see him experiment with. I mean, talking about Time Lord's passing, there was one play he caught the ball directly at the top of the, the perimeter, the top of the break, and just fired such a laser pass to Jalen Brown on the left side mm-hmm. block. Um, it went very unnoticed by a lot of people. I didn't really see anyone talking about it, but the accuracy and the pace that he put on that pass and the distance that it traveled and the amount of defenders that it kind of beat was just beautiful. It was just a very nuanced little thing that you'd expect more from a guard than a big. And when we're talking about Robert Williams passing, I don't want to overlook that because it was definitely something that I took note of. And I noted it down in my notebook when I was watching the game earlier today. Yeah. One assist, but it doesn't all show on the stat sheet for sure. Um, Aside from that, I don't think it was a great Rob Williams game or anything. He was kind of the guy I felt pretty excited about watching aside from the rookies coming in. Um, And I thought it was a mediocre game for him. It was also a horrible matchup with Embiid. Yeah, so the first thing that I noticed early in the game was his intensity when running the floor. He was getting up and down the court really well. He was making sure he's one of the first guys up the floor to offer that, that outlet pass around the rim if he could beat guys down there. He did struggle to contain Embiid once Embiid got position on the block. He had a little bit more success when forcing Embiid to catch the ball further up on the floor and then making him go to work. 
But yeah, it was just a bad matchup. I mean, first game of the preseason and you're tasked with dealing with one one of, <laughs> if not the best centres in the league. I feel like yeah. a lot of people are going to read further into that than what they need to. But it was definitely a uh, come-to-Jesus moment once he realised, hey, if I don't let Embiid get the ball on the block, now Embiid's got to do some work and I can use my athleticism to kind of disrupt that a little bit more. But it just took too many possessions for that come-to-Jesus moment to happen, in my opinion. Yeah, and to be fair, the the struggles you're talking about that we noted are things that the best defensive center in the league would struggle with when it came to Joel Embiid. So definitely not a knock on Time Lord or anything. It just wasn't, you know, I guess I, ex- I expect highlights from Time Lord. And five fouls, it's not great there either. Um, but that's just part of Jalen with Joel Embiid as well. Um, and then the other kind of struggles I think that we could talk about is just the Jalen, Jason, and, and Marcus in there as well. Um, but uh, the, the real concern for me here is how horrible the offense looked in what seems like regular rotation when Tatum wasn't out there and Brown was able to create some okay looks for himself shots that we know that he can make. I just don't know if that's the shots that I want being, you know, the focus or the target of the offense when, when Tatum's not out there. Um, And I think that obviously Brown will shoot better than, than he did last night and one of 11, one of five from three, so like that, that will improve and it'll make it look a little bit better. But the creation when Tatum was off of the floor was pretty concerning to me. Yeah. So one of the first things I want to point out with Jalen Brown is he led the team in turnovers. And that was to be expected now that they're trying to force him into a playmaking role a little bit more. We saw Tatum's turnover rate go up at the beginning of him starting to facilitate too. I do definitely think there's going to be a lot of room for growth and there's going to be quite a few ugly games where Brown's trying to figure out when to make the pass or when he should force it, when he should kind of just give the ball up and try and relocate himself to work into a better position. Definitely not the best game I've seen from Brown at all. Probably one of the worst ones in the last 12 months, maybe. But it's preseason. You expect guys to be trying out new things. You expect coaches to be trying out new plays too. There's an adjustment period for everyone. I'm not going to read too much into it. I would, however, like to see Brown try and work his way into that mid-range more and make use of that pull-up that he's got so good at. I also want to see him, if he is going to be operating as a facilitator, I want to see him more confident coming off screens. It felt like he was coming off screens and then kind of stopping and looking where he needed to go before making a decision. And that's not going to work at the NBA level. Once you come off that screen, you need to really turn the jets on force the defense into collapsing and then make the reads. Right. And, you know, the handle still, while it, while it's good, is not at an elite level to keep up with his athleticism all the time. Um, and also, I mean, I think that he's a really great catch and shoot three point shooter now. And I would like to see that used a little bit in that second unit. Um, and, you know, that probably will mean the ball being in the hands of likely Jeff Teague, um, and Teague had a great night, a, a great Celtics debut. Brad Stevens said that they played their best basketball with Teague on the floor in 19 minutes. He puts up 18 points, seven of nine shooting, four of four from deep, unsustainable three-point shooting. But, I mean, this is just the vet that you were very happy to be getting on this team, right? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, Brad Stevens was blowing him up during the post game. Did you listen to the press conference that happened after? I the did. Game? Yeah. Brad Stevens was very impressed with him. Said that the offense looked most fluid with Jeff Teague on the floor. I still feel like there's going to be issues when he's running the pick and roll. He showed a little bit of those tendencies that I spoke about a few episodes ago with literally coming off the screen and just turning those jets on and looking to get a scoring opportunity. I'm fine with that, especially when it's working. I'm not going to poop on somebody's parade just because it's just because I don't think that should be what they do. It works really well. However, when he is having a rough night, I'd like him to start looking for dump offs because Rob Williams is always going to be at the front of the rim waiting. And if it's not Rob, then it's going to be Tristan Thompson. So, yeah, I think it's a great pickup. I still don't understand the concept that this is a downgrade from Wanamaker. And judging off what we saw here, offensively, Teague is going to have a very big role to play. Defensively, they're going to need to get a little bit creative to hide both Kemba Walker and Jeff Teague on successive lineups. Well, Brad has some reps doing that for sure. Um, uh, the other point guard that, you know, I was down on going into this, and I will say definitely impressed me is uh, first-round pick Peyton Pritchard in 22 minutes, 6 of 10. It's from about the field. time you got on the train. Yes, yeah, it, it was – he was able to create for himself a lot more than I expected, and a lot of my concerns were him – with him were okay he's like fully an offensive player but what's he going to be able to do off of the ball and I think some of those concerns are still there for sure um this was a preseason game obviously where you know he was the feature guy in some lineups but I actually don't think it's crazy to think that happens throughout the regular season with the lack of creation on this Celtics team so the first time he got the ball he went into like a dribble move and he made his defend his defense yeah, his defender stagger a few steps backwards. I don't know if you noticed that. He went to like a, a crossover and then he like a jab step pullback move. And whoever was dean him up actually kind of stuck yeah. backwards a few steps. That handle and that ability to create space off the dribble is going to be invaluable, especially on a second unit that is going to struggle for that space creation. If he can get some gravity as a guy that can penetrate and, co- and cause kick out opportunities, then guys like Neesmith and Grant are going to really start feeding off that additional gravity that Pritchard can bring. And then you add in Jeff Teague, which, you know, there's a possibility that they might run Pritchard and Teague for small amounts of time together, just because Brad Stevens said in his post game that he wants multiple ball handlers, maybe two, three, four at a time on the floor. And having a guy like Pritchard that can handle the rock and can play off ball for spot up shooting opportunities could really start opening up some driving lanes for some of the secondary wings. Definitely could. And I think that he definitely has no lack of confidence or aggression, which is good. And, and yeah, put up a, a decent stat line. And I think got a little bit of Celtics fans on board with him after this debut. So we'll see what he, what he's able to keep up with. And the other debut from the earlier first rounder was Aaron Neesmith who, you know, uh, really touted as a shooter, one of five from three, and the shot will look better. It's, you know, first game. Um, what I think is more notable might be his defense, and it's still because I, I worry that he could be a, a negative on that end of the floor um, and, you know, get targeted at times. And he looks capable. I mean, it, it's totally overreactions to one game of preseason. I feel like we have to say that like 100 times in these episodes. I mean um, – 
for me, he's got the length. He just needs to fill into his body more to be able to to handle those stronger guys that are driving at him at full pace. He needs to be able to be able to fight over screens, yeah. fight under screens. He's got the length to do this. And look, when we're talking about a guy like Jason Tatum that's apparently grown again to 6'10", <laughs> and this is his fourth NBA season, then looking at a guy like Neesmith, yeah, he probably is going to get targeted and he probably is going to suck on D. It's his first year in the league. He has the physical tools to actually develop into a very respectable defender, but he needs to allow his body to grow naturally and to stack on that strength before we can start really judging where his defensive ceiling is or what it is at any at all. Yeah. Yeah. That, that length is definitely the appealing part of it. Um, and, and my concern is I, I think that he's a smart defender and that he understands schemes and some, some rotations somewhat like I think he's just a smart player he he at Vanderbilt you could see a lot of just you know fundamentally keeping guys out of the middle and things like that but I feel like laterally he when he's in his stance he's almost just like leaning too far forward and you want to be up on your toes but he just looks like his his balance isn't great and it, it there's not a great lateral quickness to him and that's where my concerns lie um but it, it's just going to be something to keep tabs on like you're saying he has all the tools for it for sure and first year he he's bound to not be good there it's going to be all about the progress after that and this year you really just want to see the shot i was i was surprised that he didn't come in until a, a little later in the game as well like when i felt like that offense was struggling i thought Neesmith could have been a little bit of a dynamic weapon to open it up a little bit for jalen so my outlook on that is maybe once Pritchard showed that he could get buckets and create some offense that Stevens wanted to bring Neesmith on slowly. He spoke very much throughout the last few weeks about how Neesmith's going to have, you know, he's not going to start right away in terms of he's not going to be a big part of the rotation to begin with. There's a lot that Neesmith needs to catch up on. And the same is true for Pritchard, but Pritchard's a few years older, uh, a few years more mature, seems to be absorbing things quite quickly in terms of schemes and play sets. I think Neesmith's going to be a couple of months in before he really solidifies like a, a 10 to 15 minute roll a night, unless he has a, a bit more of a, a leap in terms of development. But this is tough. I mean, these guys have came in after the draft. They've had no summer league. It's been a ridiculously short preseason. This has got to be the hardest... How do we? How do I word this? This has got to be the hardest welcome to the NBA season ever for these rookies because there's so little ramp up, so little time to get to grips with your new teammates, the difference in competitiveness, the difference in athletic ability of your opponents, and what's yeah. expected of you as a professional. That making these adjustments is going to take longer than what usually takes for guys in their first year because they've had so little time to even process the fact that, hey, I'm in the NBA and the guys I'm going up against every night are all straight killers. So I'm not too worried about how many minutes they're going to play to begin with. I just think that being patient with them and planning for the tail end of the season when you really need your killers to be on their game and you need guys like Neesmith to be able to drop their, you know, drop twos, drop threes at a consistent rate, then you take the rough now to get to the smooth when you need it. Yeah, and you know, Aaron Neesmith hasn't played a game since January um, of last year or of this year, sorry. So it's it's been about 11 months for him since he only played 14 games during his 
sophomore season that was his final one at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, excuse me. So it's been a little while. A I've, I've say it again. Is that a sandwich? What a Vander melt. A Vandermelt? I don't think so. <laughs> it could be. I just thought maybe it that's is what now. you're having. Yeah, is that what you're having for breakfast, dude? A Vandermelt. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it I'm is, just but I'm making a, a Vandermelt right now. Yeah, we're going to make it up. It's got to have something. Vanderbilt wear purple, right? No, they're gold and black. Gold and black. Yeah. I don't know what food we can... Anyway, we're getting off we're track. We're going to figure it out. You know who... You know when I Vandermelted this game? When Semi Ojale drove baseline and went for a reverse layup, like he always does. I've never seen somebody attempt more reverse layups in my life, or percentage of layups that are reverses. Dude, I remember. I was like, I was dude, a... do something different. Come on. I remember when I was playing JV leagues, like um, back in the day, and I used to always, always just pump fake guys out after off the elbow. You know where you got your free throw line and then you've got your two elbows on either side mm-hmm. of the free. One of my main moves was to play off ball, to come to curl over a screen, catch the ball on the elbow, and just pump fake. And it used to just sell all the time, dude, because I was a mid-range guy. And I remember yeah. after the game, one of the players, like, every time we play, you get us with that one move. You've only got one move. You're trash. You're angry that he'd be <laughs> on it like four or five times. And I, when I watched Semi and we're talking about that reverse layup, I always remember that encounter because I'm like, dude, you genuinely do only have one move. <laughs> and yeah. it, it, it's not that good. Like you're not very good at your one move. No. Yeah. It's, it, and he, he's not, he's not good enough that that's even in the scouting report. It seems because opposing teams don't know it's coming, but it's the most play uh, telegraphed thing to you and I, and anyone that watches Celtics basketball or even has seen about like SMU. Like this, this has always been shimmy's thing. You know, it, it was a highlight at first, but now it's like, oh my gosh, just you're so strong. Just finish at the close side sometimes. Yeah, just bump the guy a little bit and then finish with your offhand off the glass. It's it's yeah, not on the way down. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just a little dink off the glass. You're strong enough to absorb the contact and still be able to finish. And that's what that's what really annoys me. It feels like Shemi is more than happy to absorb contact on defense, but on offense, he just tries to avoid bumping into guys on the, on the way to the hoop, which causes him to bail out for these like reverses that, you know, if you're landing them at yeah. like a 60, 70% clips, great. When you're Shemi Ojale and you're getting one in a thousand to fall, like, you know, <laughs> you need to start changing things up, dude. Yeah. And, you know, we also need to get some of these other centers back so we don't have to watch Taco Fall be the first sub off the bench. You have no idea how angry I was, I was like, oh my God, this is the first guy coming in. You have no idea how disappointed <laughs> and upset I was. I was like, why is Taco Fall even in a Celtics uniform at this point? Like, people are going to hate on me because I've been very negative on Taco. By all accounts, he's a great human being. But as a basketball player, just why? Yeah. Like, I'm just, I weren't happy with it, but I understood, you know, there's no, there's no Tice, there's no Thompson. You've got to run with what you've got. And when you've got a seven, like a, a legit, what is he? Seven, six at least. When you've just got this behemoth, <laughs> this monster of a man that you can just put in and be like, put your hands up, just stand there and put your hands up. Then you got, that's what you go with. It's very rudimentary basketball, but. He was slightly effective. I just uh, did. You see that one play where he tried to run the floor on the break with the yes, ball. That's not. That's not his game. Like why? Uh, that was just. It's, dude, 
I don't understand what was going through his head. Get over the halfway line, pick the ball up and wait for a ball handler to catch up and then give it to the whoever's leaking right. out first. It made no sense to me. But there you go. That's uh, the, taco, the taco fall experience. That's One thing we need to touch on is Marcus Smart just getting in the way of everybody, absorbing contact, drawing charges. That's the Marcus Smart everybody wants to see. I know there's been a lot of opinions on whether he was taking too many shots during the playoffs, whether he was favoring his offense over his defense. The Marcus Smart that the Celtics need, in my personal opinion, to be successful this season, is the Marcus Smart that gives 100% on defense on every single possession and takes open shots, doesn't just shoot because he wants his numbers, which is how certain people felt last season towards the end of the playoffs. If he's drawing charges and flying around on D and then people are finding him open from free and he's shooting at a respectable clip, I think he's going to be a fa- he's going to have a fantastic season. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely the the typical Marcus um, defensive intensity. You know, you got a couple moments of him yelling at Jalen for missing rotations. Yeah, Celtics basketball is back, man. And you know, a guy that I really feel like needs a shout out as well, um, play extremely well in the starting lineup, Javante Green, man. You know, oh, I didn't feel like he did too much or anything. Um, just <laughs> filled his role well. So I'm laughing right now because at the end of the last episode, we were doing over or under on how many Javante dunks and we, we, we both took the over and we both would have won some money. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I definitely didn't expect him to be starting. It makes sense. He's well, been with the you team know, for a little while. This is why you gamble, though. right? This fight. Yeah. Game, and yeah. he's shown, <laughs> he's shown that he, he's improving his three point shot, which again, is going to open up driving opportunities. He's, it's crazy that he's so explosive that I feel very comfortable with them running like a, a two-man alley-oop game with him and a, a guy like Pritchard or Brown. You know, like I'm very comfortable if Javante Green's your role, man, because he's out jumping most centers. Right. So he does give you a little bit of a wrinkle. He is still just a human highlight. I'm not sure what his role in the offense is going to be or in the rotation itself is going to be during the regular season. But for right now, I'm all for the Javante Green dunks. Yeah, it's the half court that's an issue with him, obviously. And, and speaking of dunks, by the way, Jalen Jalen really tried to throw one down on Embiid. Yeah, dude, was that was so amazing, close. right? He oh, was so dude. close. That would have been the highlight of the preseason period because that was a hammer, dude. Yeah, do you remember opening day of last year? He had, I mean, it's a loose word to a loose uh, definition of a poster here but it was the one he went up with one hand and it actually Embiid blocked it but then it spun off of Embiid's hand and somehow banked in this was this was opening day point is he goes at Embiid at the beginning of the season he loves he just goes at Embiid whenever he gets the chance dude but that that dunk his body was like his body was like changing angle in the air as he was trying to make it so power. Dude, that would have, that dunk would have been the game winner. They should, if he'd landed that dunk, they should have called the game off. Yeah, we would have forgave like the one of 11. If he was two of 11, one of them was the dunk. Forgivable. Totally like, fine. Like during preseason, I'm cool. If you're trying new things and you're trying to develop something that you've been working on during the off season and you're doing it at game speed now against other NBA talent, and you have a poor preseason game, I'm going to forgive that because I'd rather you make those mistakes now so whatever you're working on becomes polished for when it's needed during the regular season than for you to hold it back and then wait 10 weeks into the season and be like, oh, okay, so now I'm going to try and be a playmaker. 
we saw talking of which we saw Tatum, you know, keep trying to work that floater. Definitely looked stronger at finishing around the rim. I know that Drew Hanlon had mentioned on the locker room at the other day. That's one that's been a point of focus for Tatum is finishing at speed, finishing around the rim, finishing in the lane. That floater still looks like it needs a bit of work, though. It's still coming on that little bit too strong. Yeah, I thought that he had some okay finishes. I mean, he's always been a little creative. I think he had one left side of the hoop, right-hand finish that I feel like I'm remembering here that was somewhat impressive and gave me hope at the beginning of the game. But then, yeah, obviously wasn't a great shooting night or, or finishing night for him. Uh, and, yeah, definitely going to be keeping tabs on on the floater slash uh, just just finishing when he's able to fully get to the rim. What did you think of of the rivals on the other side of the floor here? I think Tyrese Maxey looks really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the way he was, and I was a guy, I remember texting you on draft night, like, I don't think I want Tyrese Maxey in Boston. Um, I was quite low on him, just not as a player, but as a fit for the Celtics, as I thought he was just a bigger version of Marcus Smart. And adding him would have been great, but it wouldn't have filled a need that they they required in terms of shooting. Uh, They already have a decent defensive presence. And if you're not bringing in a solid seven foot big man that can defend, then adding another defender kind of, doesn't fix any of the issues you already have. So that's why I didn't want Maxi for Boston. But I thought he played really well, started off slow, and then he had quite a few consecutive buckets, hurting the Celtics in the mid-range. He was hurting them in the lane. I think one play, he beat, beat his man off the baseline as well. I know that he beat Naismith, and Naismith managed to recover for the block. Uh, Simmons looked good, and Embiid looked good. I was shocked that Fireball didn't get too many minutes, though. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was definitely a little weird. Um, and I think that, you know, this I, I already kind of felt this going into this, but the spacing that they're going to have around Embiid and Simmons this year is, is just going to be a very different Sixers team, and that's going to open up a lot for them. Yeah, and that's been one of the major talking points for Philly anyway, right, is the fact that they went out and they filled their own need for shooting. They made their moves to create those lanes to allow Simmons and, and Embiid to kind of work in a bit of a better partnership and a, a more cons- consistent tandem. Um, Tobias Harris looked like Tobias Harris. I still think that he's overpaid, but I think that he's a very reliable guy for them. I think Philly could be a real big issue this year. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I think they could be a very dominant team this year if they can figure it out. And you know, it was interesting after the game, there was a post-game interview with Embiid um, and he was talking or he got asked from, I believe, Chris Weber, what was the main thing you worked on this off season? And he said his body really, and just being in, in a peak condition because he feels like he can do most things on the floor. He just needs to be healthy and and out there and conditioned enough to be doing it throughout the entire game. And I, I think that's, that's spot on for what he needed to work on. So if we do see him in, in better shape, I, I think, you know, he's a very real force in this league. Yeah, and he looked in a lot better shape. He was more slender, looked a lot more slimline. Mm-hmm. Uh, he seemed to be moving a lot more. His footwork is phenomenal. Like, there's nothing you can take away from Embiid. Once he gets on that block, his footwork is just ridiculously good. So I'd agree. I feel like, especially in the playoff series against Boston, you could see Embiid gassing out a little bit down the stretch of games, and then he wasn't recovering quick enough. So losing a bit of that weight adding some definition to his muscle tone rather than adding more mass will be a real big asset to him. If he keeps working on his body like this and continues, he's going to really elevate himself as a 
like a fourth quarter guy. And when you've got Joel Embiid that can close in the fourth quarter of a playoff game instead of come out hot and then tire as the game goes on, that's a completely different animal to try and deal with. Totally. And, you know, it would be something that hopefully Tristan Thompson can slow down a little bit. I think that's all I got on this one, man. Yeah, Tristan Thompson will just body slamming and it'll be over. Sounds good. I, I make that sounds like great entertainment. Yeah, that's Quality world TV. wrestling entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. That's classic Boston Philly. Yeah. Just wrestled. Did, did you hear Brad Stevens say that uh, he misses having the fans behind him wishing him happy holidays in their own yes. way? Yeah. <laughs> Philly played the You Suck chant at the start of the game. That was a great line. Nice touch. Yeah. I think Brad Stevens' humor is very underrated. He's a uh, very deadpan, very tongue in cheek, but uh, he yeah. makes me laugh a lot. Yeah, he's got his own type of humor that I, I personally find hilarious. But next yeah, game I think he's great. we got is on the 18th at 8 o'clock Eastern, actually. That's a late one. Friday night. That's 1 a.m. English time. Wow. Oh, I'm not going to watch it live. I put a tweet out yesterday saying I'm not staying up until 3, 4 a.m. for preseason games. It's just not happening. That's understandable. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see. I mean, the Nets ran Kyrie and KD out quite for quite a large amount of time during their first game. And Kyrie looked like he was in regular season form. KD looked like he isn't holding anything back in terms of that injury isn't restricting his movement or his ability to get up and down the floor and to dunk. This is going to be a test. It's going to be a test of how much... It, improvement Boston are going to make from the Philly game to the Nets game. I'm very curious to see how they deal with a team that's going to run a lot more motion offense. They've got a lot more shooters, a lot more of a penetration threat. I want to see how the switching works for that defensive unit for Boston and how they deal with a more motion, motion-based offensive team. Yeah. I'm curious who gets the, the first um, defensive assignment on Durant as well. I would guess probably Jalen. Um, but we'll see how that goes. Um, like you said, they, they're definitely looking like a potent scoring threat, and they've got a real nice bench behind them as well. So team I'm worried about, and it's going to be fun to get a little peek at them here in the next game. Uh, what are some things from Boston's point of view that you're really hoping to see? I want to see some more of that high pick and roll offense that they ran, so specifically in the second second half. I want to see Jalen Brown continue to – at least attempt to run some of those pick and rolls and facilitate. And then I want to see penetration against a team like this that are going to be so potent offensively. You're going to need to make sure you're getting some of the best looks possible. And that's going to come from penetration, driving kicks. It's going to come from some pistol sets, some double stagger screens coming into the paint. I just want to see penetration and making the easiest shot available, finding the the right guy at the right time. And the Celtics did a lot of that against Philly. But when you're doing it against a team like Brooklyn that can come down and hit you for free, almost in the blink of an eye, you need to make sure that every shot you take is a high percentage look. Yeah, I'm with you. And then I'm also really going to pay attention to the other end of the floor. I know it's preseason, but you're supposed to be a top five defense this year. And this is you know, a team that I could see being a top five offense this year with just elite individual creators. So nice yeah, challenge. So the Celtics were running mainly drop defense against Philadelphia because that's the personnel they have available at the moment. They don't have Tristan Thompson that's available to switch 
or who can show and recover quickly enough to still put pressure on ball. Try to do that with Tacos. Yeah, exactly. Try to do that with Rob Williams. Rob Williams is still a little bit of a a pogo stick defender. So -hmm. if you ask him to show and he bites, you are absolutely screwed around the rim. So I'd expect to see more drop defense from them. What I was finding was they were using the big to drop and then they were switching the other four guys. Uh, I saw Pritchard get switched onto Embiid at one point and they kind of run a scram screen to get him out of the paint. Um, I'd assume that that's what they're going to continue to do against Brooklyn. Time Lord's going to have another tough matchup in terms of DeAndre Jordan. I just feel like there's a lot less versatility on their on the next big man rotation as what Embiid could pose. So, yeah, I'd, I'd expect to see that again, drop defense with a four-man switch scheme. And I want to see how they rotate and how they can clog the lanes for a team that is going to be very good at penetrating themselves. I'm with you. I want to see Neesmith knock down some threes. And I want to see Jalen dunk on someone so bad. I want that that dunk he missed on Embiid. I want four of those against oh, Kyrie. Brooklyn. Yeah, on Kyrie. Kyrie never gets near the yeah. rim on defense. On KD. I want to see him jam down on KD. Oh, yeah. Guys, yeah, that wraps Andre. us up. That wraps us up. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed the game. More importantly, Friday's episode, we're going to have a former Celtics NBA player on. I'll be recording that very soon. So make sure you tune in for that. And that's all I've got, Brendan. You got anything you want to say? That's all I got. Celtics basketball is back. Basketball is back. I'm hyped. Uh, You missed the word baby. It should have been Celtics basketball is back, baby. You're right. Sorry. I know. I'm just pointing it out. Just, you know. Yeah. No, I mean, this is why we're a great duo, you know. Yeah, you this complete is what... my. I, I complete you. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, oh yeah. Where's my Valentine's card, dude? We're setting up the sandwiches line. We've been talking about sandwiches. I'm gonna go make this Vandermelt, man. Yo, just don't get. Did I ever tell you about the sandwich I got in Malibu? <laughs> no, dude. Free sandwiches in Malibu cost me a hundred bucks. Jeez. And yeah. these were like some of the worst sandwiches I ever had in my life. <laughs> so, uh, so, just don't be... get sandwiches in Malibu. Just don't get yeah. anything in Malibu. It's so expensive. Dude, man, we literally stopped off to visit my friend's wife at work and there was like a little, there was a little like cubby hole in the wall. You know those sandwich shops where it's just a hole in the wall? Yeah. And, uh, so usually the good ones. Yeah. So someone was like, yo, like one of the people at the place where she worked was like, yo, if you're hungry, that place over there does dope sandwiches. I'm like, yeah, I'm starving, dude. I've been in the air for the last 18 hours. Let me go cut one of these sandwiches. It wasn't 18 hours, but in terms of like, it was an 11 hour flight. But when you look at the time last and stuff, it evaluated to 18 hours. Anyway, I digress. Went over there, ordered free sandwiches, free drinks, 96.50 or something stupid. Oof. I remember thinking, dude, I have not bought enough money with me for this trip. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then you said they weren't even, they weren't even good. No, no, they, they oh. were very poor. At very least, expensive and good, you know? Like, yeah, no, this was expensive and oh. disappointing, dude. Like, I ended up getting a welcome to LA, <laughs> yeah, dude. I ended up getting some tacos from like a taco truck on the way That's back. That's probably the way to go. I was like, give me all these tacos, dude. I want five of them. So much better. I just love tacos, yeah, dude. That someone was like, don't eat from a taco truck. I was like, That's where I'm eating from, not when they fall on the floor, though. Yeah, no, they're, they are hard that to eat. Anyway, fall. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. Oh, dude, that was genius. Uh, yeah. All right, we'll, we'll end there. We'll end there. Guys, catch us again on Friday for a special guest episode. Until then, we bid you farewell. And by the way, I complete Brendan, apparently. I'm touched. Beatable.